And if you would, please open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. We are in a series on the book of Hebrews entitled, Jesus is Better. And today we come to Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 19. I am sure that most of you at some point have been in the great outdoors and seen this sign, Danger Wildlife. And in Florida, we know what that means. Often there's a picture of like an alligator on the sign or a a poisonous snake, maybe a black bear. But in other parts of the country, they have other animals to look out for, like buffalo or mountain lions. And I read a story a number of years ago about a couple named Jim and Nell Ham who were hiking at a California state park. They were a month shy of their 50th wedding anniversary. And as they were walking in this park, suddenly a mountain lion jumped on Jim's back and got its jaws over Jim's head and wrestled Jim to the ground. And the mountain lion engaged, was trying to, was trying to attack, and so here, here's the news story. Nell said that she grabbed a four-inch wide log and beat the animal with it, but it would not let go of her husband's head. Jim was then talking Nell through this. He said, I've got a pin in my pocket. Get the pin and jab him in the eye. And Nell said, so I got the pin and I tried to put it in his eye, but it didn't want to go in as easily as I thought it would. And when the pin bent and became useless, Nell went back to using the log. And eventually, the, the mountain lion let go, and with blood on its snout, it stood staring at the woman. She screamed and waved the log, and the animal walked away. And then the couple then walked together for about a quarter mile where Nell then, uh, where, to a trailhead where Nell gathered branches to protect her husband if more lions came around and they waited for the ranger and summoned help. After the fact, it says, Jim Ham, who was 70 years old, he was in fair condition. He had to have his lips stitched back together. He underwent surgery for lacerations on his head and his body. Nell warned people never to hike in the back country alone. Park rangers told the couple that if Jim had been alone, he probably wouldn't have survived. And Nell said, we fought harder than we have ever to save his life, and we fought together. This is why there's those signs posted that say danger, wildlife, and I I just wonder what was going through the mountain lion's heads as as she was screaming and waving that log around. This is why hikers have to be on guard. And as dangerous as this was for Jim and Nell, there is actually a greater danger than something in the great outdoors. It's not, a, it's not a greater danger outside of us necessarily, but inside of us. Hebrews was written to a church that was facing persecution for their faith in Christ. 
They were very acquainted with the outside dangers as they were thinking, what's going to happen to our stuff? Are we going to get put in prison for our faith? And this had gotten their attention. Great danger out there. But as the book of Hebrews unfolds, and here in chapter 3, we learn that the greatest danger is not out there, but actually in here. And if you look at the passage, Hebrews 3, it's described in verse 8 as, Do not harden your hearts. It's described in verse 12 as an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart. It's described in verse 15 as, do not harden your hearts. A hard, unbelieving heart is a great danger to guard against. It was a danger that the recipients of this letter were prone to, and church, it is a danger that we are prone to as well. And God inspired His Word and preserved it for us so that we would know how, what this danger is and how to guard against it. So, if you have your Bible open to Hebrews 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were, th who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of un belief. Let's pray and ask for God's help together. Well, Heavenly Father, anytime we come before Your Word, it is both a privilege and a sobering responsibility 
We thank you, Lord, that you are not a silent God, but a speaking God, and that you have given us what you've spoken through your word for our upbuilding, for our consolation, uh, to convict us where we need that. Lord, and we thank you just for the, the responsibility. Help us not to listen this morning casually or consider superficially, but to receive from you your word. Lord, I thank you just that we are a church family. I thank you for the family life that happens as a church. And this morning, we just lift up different members of our church family. We pray for Carl Miklas's continued healing. Lord, we pray for Bob Nance as he is headed to the hospital this morning. We just we pray for his healing. You give the doctors wisdom, but Lord, just even a touch from you, and he will be healed. Lord, we just lift up the many things that are going on in our church family, whether by way of sickness or struggle or difficulty or need, we bring these before you as our Lord and King, and we pray you would be glorified in every way. Father, we pray for what this passage is addressing, Lord, that you would help us in our hearts, Soft hearts, Lord, that's what we pray. That's what I want, Lord, towards you, towards others. Soft hearts. And so I pray you'd use this passage to to be a necessary warning for us and an encouragement for us to live soft-heartedly before you and before one another. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and power. Amen. So, a hard, unbelieving heart is a great danger to guard against. What what exactly is a hard heart? Well, heart in the Bible most often does not refer to the organ that is pumping blood throughout our body. Most often, heart refers to the inner us, our control center of desire. When we give our heart to something, that's worship. When we withhold our heart from things and from people, that's a choice. We get to give our heart to things. So a hard heart is when we choose contempt for God and other people. We stop listening. Stop believing God's Word Maybe some aspect of his warnings or some aspect of his promises or some aspects of his commands. We stop humbling ourselves before God and before other people. We stop admitting that we were wrong. That's a hard heart. Paul Tripp puts it this way. He says, the hard heart is a stony heart. It's no longer malleable anymore. It's hard and resistant to change, no longer tender and responsive to the squeeze of the hands of the Holy Spirit. What are some signs of a person who has a hard heart? A hard heart spawns all kinds of nasty things that we can see even in our passage. Hard heart leads to rebellion. We see that in verses 7 and 15 and 16. A hard heart can lead to provoking God, verses 10 and 17. It leads to putting God to the test, verse 9. 
It leads to going astray or falling away, verses 10 and 17. It leads to disobedience, verse 18, which in context, the disobedience that's spoken of here, it was grumbling, complaining. Finally, a hard heart leads to not entering God's rest, verse 18. So this is the great danger that is being warned against in this passage, a hard and unbelieving heart. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we guard against having such a heart? Well, the verses that we just read through, I think, give us four principles, four ways to guard against an unbelieving heart. My, my prayer this morning in sharing these, unpacking these, is not so that we go, oh, yeah, that's great, good to know, but more so that these principles become our principles and the way that we relate to the Lord and to others. So, the first way we guard is by responding. Responding. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. A hard heart is not a disease. It's a choice. We can choose to respond. And these verses, they quote Psalm 95 for us. Uh, Psalm 95 was one of those psalms that was read on a weekly basis in the Jewish synagogue. So we're talking like this is a familiar psalm to even now we're looking at Jewish Christians to whom this letter is written. This is a very familiar psalm for them. I mean, it would be like if you grew up, like let's say in church your whole life, some of you have, this would be like hearing the, the, the hymn Amazing Grace. Or Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Or John 3.16, whatever was most familiar to you, that's what the author is doing. He's bringing something that's very familiar to them and he's reapplying it to exhort them freshly. Today, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. In a word, what he's saying is, Respond. Respond. Now, Psalm 95, when it refers to the rebellion and the the testing, it's two instances in the Old Testament, Exodus 17 and Numbers 14. And in Exodus 17, the people of Israel had just been saved out of Egypt, and immediately, what do they do? They grumble at Moses. They complain. And then, Numbers 14, the people of Israel are now on the cusp of the promised land, but the spies, except for Joshua and Caleb, the spies bring back an unfavorable report. They're like, there's giants in the land, and immediately the people do the same thing as Exodus 17. They begin 
grumbling. They said, here it is, Numbers 14, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So this is the rebellion that is spoken of here in Hebrews 3. Israel had heard God. Israel had had seen God's salvation out of Egypt and His provision. They had received the promise, that land is going to be yours. But when things didn't look good and seem difficult, they gave way to a hard and unbelieving heart. Well, that happened in, number, in Exodus and in Numbers, and hundreds of years later, Psalm 95 was written to say, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. It, it encourages another generation of God's people to respond. And now, the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, picks it up another time and says, hey, let's look at this again. Let's look at what's common for God's people It's common for God's people to fall back, to want to go back, to grumble, to give way to a hard heart. And so he says, let let me bring this passage afresh to a new audience. And then Grace Covenant Church, we're gathered here today considering the same message. It's preserved for us. In fact, look at what the writer of the book of Hebrews does. He does something absolutely incredible in verse 7. When he starts off the quote, don't miss this, he starts off the quote with these words, as the Holy Spirit says. Says is in the present tense, not as the Holy Spirit said long ago, but no, in like he says now, the Holy Spirit is speaking today. He's speaking through His Word to this audience of the book of Hebrews, and He's doing the same for us this morning. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and to me. You see, that's what happens when we open up God's Word. It's not just, He said this long ago. This is how He speaks today, through His inspired Word. And His Word for us today is just like it was for Old Testament Israel. It's just like it was during David's day. It's just like it was during the day of the book of Hebrews recipients. The the word is still the same. Do not harden your heart. You may be going through a drought. You may be facing uphill difficulty in life. You may be in conflict with someone. Do not not harden your heart. People may have sinned against you greatly. People may have let you down. Respond humbly is what these verses are telling us. And respond today. Today. J.C. Ryle writes about this word today. He says, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. 
Satan does not care how spiritual your intentions are or how holy your resolutions, if only they are determined to be done tomorrow. That's why the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And let me just share something with you about hardening. Because when I talk to people that are contemplating choices, this rarely comes up, and it's worth considering. This verse tells us we have the ability to soften or harden our hearts. We have the ability to either be proud and resistant to God and His correcting work and others, or we can lay down our pride. And sometimes people think, you know, it just feels good to hold a grudge. It just feels really good that you really want to yell, and then you yell. And you're like, oh, that just, that just feels so good. I just had to get that out. Sometimes people say it just feels good to be sexually immoral. You know what? I'll do this for a little bit, and then I'll quit. Here's the problem with that. The less we respond to God, the less we can respond to God. You see... There comes a point where Israel stops hearing the Lord say these things, stops giving attention to those things, and they're unable to respond. This is what happened to Pharaoh back in Exodus. At the beginning, his, he was hardening his own heart when Moses came to him, but towards the end, after a while, it says the Lord hardened his heart. This is why we must listen and respond. If you see a warning from God, if you see a promise from God, a command from God, a principle in God's Word, don't ignore it. Respond to it. Believe it. Accept it. Obey it. Take it to heart. Thank Him for it. If you feel the convicting work of the Holy Spirit urging you to confess something, confess it. Walk in the light. So how do we guard against a hard, unbelieving heart? Well, first principle is by responding. A second principle, a second way to guard is by taking care. Taking care. Look at verse 12 with me. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, some people think, whoa, whoa, falling away from God. This must be talking about non-Christians. But no, you look, he's talking to believers. He says, take care, brothers. He's talking to fellow Christians. We are to guard by taking care to the condition of our hearts. You know, some people spend lots of time working on their hair. Uh, I don't. Uh, Or lots of time working on their makeup. Or working on some possession or thing that they have. Maybe a financial portfolio. I had a neighbor once, next door neighbor, and his house was the nastiest house on the block. I mean, it was just so gross. He didn't take any care of it at all. But his truck was pristine. And he would be out there waxing it, washing it on a regular basis. 
He took care of that truck. Verse 12 encourages us to give the utmost care, not to all of these other things, but to take care to the condition of our hearts. Take care. Keep it. Watch it. Watch what you love. Watch what's going on in your heart. He says, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart. Because here, here's why we have to guard or keep watch over our hearts. Because what, what our hearts go after determines our lives. And ultimately our eternities. And so we have to ask ourselves, do, do we think that we are capable of a hard unbelieving heart. Our Bible is as long as it is because it has a long history of people that were all capable of a hard and unbelieving heart. And there's probably, you know, if you've been a Christian for a time, there's probably people in your life that you can think of that you said, I would never have thought that they would go away from the Lord either just into disinterest, apathy, sin, whatever it is. I I just could never have pictured them, but they've gone astray in their hearts. What happened? They stopped taking care. At some point, John Owen writes of this in his famous work, Mortification of Sin. He says, take heed, this is what your lust is working towards. The hardening of the heart, searing of the conscience, blinding of the mind, stupefying of the affections, and deceiving of the whole soul. If the recipients of this letter think that their biggest problem is out there, the world, what's going on, their situation, they, they would be missing this great danger. Listen, church, our greatest danger is not what's going on globally. Our greatest danger is not what's happening politically. It's not your family difficulties. It's not what's, what's going on with bodily difficulties. A hard, unbelieving heart is a great danger to guard against. And so we take care... By using the means that God has given us to turn from sin, to run to God, to listen to Him carefully. Taking care looks like asking ourselves, is there anything that right now I'm okay with that I really shouldn't be okay with? Do I rejoice in what God's rejoicing in? Am I grieved by the things God's grieved by? Do I hate the things God hates? Guard our hearts. We guard them by responding. And we guard them by taking care. A third way that the passage goes on, he's not done. The third way that we guard is by exhorting. Exhorting or encouraging or admonishing. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another 
every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we came away from verse 12 thinking, okay, i got to take care of my heart, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in my room, I'm going to shut the door, and I'm going to have a heart-to-heart with my heart. Well, the writer of the Hebrews is like, yeah, let me give you another course, a more profitable way. It tells us that we need other people, and other people need us. Jim, from earlier, the the Jim and Nell story, Jim needed his wife, Nell. And why? Why do we need help from others? Well, this gets to a little something that's called the doctrine of sin. And it's not a little something. The doctrine of remaining or indwelling sin. Verse 13 refers to the deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives. This is one massive way that we are different from Jim Ham. Jim knew he had a mountain lion with its mouth over his head. And yet sin deceives. We don't realize we've got something worse than a mountain lion that's got our head in its mouth. He knew he needed help. We don't often recognize that we need help. Sin is deceptive. I am deceived by my sin. You are deceived by your sin. And so we're to take care of our hearts, but we're not able to do this on our own because of the deceitfulness of sin. You know, almost every conflict that I have ever had, there is some period where I don't see my sin. I don't see it, and I need help seeing it. And so I become a little more adept to asking for that help because I'm like, wait, this feels like the last thousand times where I thought I didn't sin, so let me get some help on this. Paul Tripp says again, he says of this Hebrews passage that we're reading this morning, he says, the Hebrews passage clearly teaches that personal insight is the product of community. If I were taking notes this morning, I would write that down. That that quote is money. Personal insight is the product of community. I need you in order to really see and know myself. Otherwise, I will listen to my own arguments, believe my own lies, and buy into my own delusions. My self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold the mirror of God's Word in front of me. Sin deceives. And verse 13 also refers, though, to a progression. Look with me. It talks about being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So notice the progression here. We're deceived. And we can't escape being deceived until we're with Jesus, but we can get help in our deception from others. But without regularly exhorting, others regularly exhorting us, we can become hardened in our deception. 
I mean, the picture here, it's like that word, hardening and deception. It's like cement that is drying. We need others to pull us out before the cement dries. That's a great way to think about what we do at home groups. We're not just meeting and talk about some religious stuff. Like, get me out of the cement before it dries. I'm here at home group tonight. Or the, the women's study. What is that all about? It's getting women out of the cement before it dries. That's, what, that's essentially what we're doing. What's friendship? What's fellowship? I mean, this is not everything, but it's an essential aspect that we not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, God knows that we're deceived by sin, and He knows we can be hardened in it, and so He provides other people. Other people. If you go back to the beginning where, you know, the park ranger said, you know, if Nell hadn't been there, Jim would be dead. And Nell saying, we fought our hardest because we fought together. That's a great picture of fellowship. Exhorting one another every day. This is church. This is how the church is meant to function. This is how the Christian life is meant to be. It's not the only thing we do, but it is an essential part of what we do. I need to be exhorted. You need to be exhorted. There are no experts who do all the exhorting of everybody. It's mutual. And we need it regularly. He says, do it every day. As long as it's called today. So we need this. Let's say you're doing really well right now. There's actually one thing you need. Others exhorting you. Let's say you're doing really bad right now. Ah, there's something you need. Others exhorting you. Every day. Regularly. This is why all Christians need a local church. I know it's become increasingly popular over the last number of years for people to just be Christians, not be attached to any church, or to consider YouTube as their church. Who's going to exhort you on YouTube? Who, who's going to exhort you unless you're a part of the church? We, we are all gyms with lions on our heads, this passage is telling us. And we need, we need people to help us. This is also, church, why we practice church discipline. We're all gyms, but we're also all nels. We're helping one another, exhorting one another, even if people don't realize they have a lion on their head. That's why we practice church discipline. So let me ask you, do you think you need others for this? Do you live like you actually need others for this? Do you think exhorting and encouraging others is absolutely essential? Then consider, do you receive it when people exhort you? Uh, do you even invite it? Do you pursue this with others? Now, clarification, none of us here is the Holy Spirit for other people. This passage is not, is not intended to be a license for us to go around and correct the brethren. But you can start with yourself. I can start with myself and consider, am, am I, are you transparent enough with what's going on in our lives that others could even speak into our lives? 
This is how we guard against a hard and unbelieving heart, church. We guard by responding. We guard by taking care to our hearts. We guard by exhorting and being exhorted. And then finally, this passage calls us to guard against a hard, unbelieving heart by holding firm. Holding firm. Uh, Look at verse 14 with me. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now there's a call in here to hold firm. But before we get to that call, verse 14 tells us, We have come to share in Christ. And he's speaking to believers. We have come to share in Christ. The the word here is elsewhere in the New Testament translated partners. This actually speaks of the, uh, the disciples who were partners in a fishing business. We have come into a partnership with Jesus Christ. I cannot think of a more glorious reality, church. So wait, you mean I brought my share into this partnership? I got to bring my sin, my shame, my guilt. Okay, and now what did he bring? He brought his righteousness. He brought his obedience. We've seen over the last number of days, uh, weeks, He's the heir of all things, so he has 100% of the inheritance. He brings that into the partnership. He brings full forgiveness. He brings the atone, his atoning blood, his finished work on the cross for us. How did we come to have this share, this partnership with Christ? Oh, I know. It's because we're such good people. No, not at all. By grace, through faith. And how do we continue as partners? Keep sharing in Christ. How does that continue? Well, it says we, we hold fast, but it's not, it's not by continuing and saying, well, I'll just be a good person from here on out. No, it's by grace, through faith. That's what holding firm is. It's another way of talking about faith. It's, I'm a partner with Christ, I can't believe how great this is, but I'm going to keep believing how great this is. It's a way of speaking of trust. And then in verses 16 through 19, it's five questions, the author recounts how Old Testament Israel did not hold fast. And any time the Bible points out someone who failed, we should look at that carefully. That should get our attention. Wait a second. This this wasn't the pagans. This isn't the Philistines who fell. This isn't the Edomites. This isn't the Canaanites. 
or all those guys. This is Israel who fell. How did they fall? Oh, they heard God. They saw His miracles. But they hardened their hearts in unbelief. You see, unbelief is this great danger. And any time, church, we face a great danger or loss or trouble or trial, this is something to keep in mind. Miscarrying a child is a great loss. But the great danger is that we would harden our heart against the Lord in the loss. Unbelief is the great danger. Notice, notice that each time Old Testament Israel struggled with unbelief, they didn't want to go forward. They wanted to go backwards. Numbers 14.3, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? In their unbelief, they always wanted to go back. If you remember, the, the letter The book of Hebrews was written to a church that was considering going back to Judaism. Going back is the very antithesis of faith, church. Which is why when we get to chapter 10 and the famous chapter 11 on faith, heroes of faith, this is how chapter 10 ends and Hebrews 11 begins. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so we guard against a hard, unbelieving heart by holding firm to Jesus, holding firm our confidence in Jesus until the very end. We just... I mean, it's not a work. We're not working for it. It's just, I'm just still trusting. I'm just still believing who you are and what you've done. And I'm not going to cast that off. And he says, hold it because he is our confidence. And who wouldn't want to hold on to the glory of glories that we have come to share in Christ? And so let us not jettison Christ and take on a hard, unbelieving heart. That's the encouragement of this passage. If I can invite the worship team to return. So I shared at the beginning about Jim and Nell. Jim was attacked by the mountain lion. He had the mountain lion's mouth over his head. I wonder what it would feel like if you showed up at, a par- at that same park and you planned on hiking and the ranger said to you, hey, by the way, there was a guy who was attacked by a mountain lion last week. Yeah, the mountain lion got its head all the way over his, uh, or got his mouth all the way over his head. Be careful as you walk out there. What would you do? I would go back to my car. That is not a risk I'm willing to take. And yet sin is like having a mountain lion within us. One we can't just go back to the car to escape. God uses mountain lion language. Listen to this. This is Genesis 4. He's talking to Cain. 
who had hardened his heart, and here's what he says. He says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He uses mountain lion language, crouching. Just as Jim and Nell, or just as Jim needed Nell and he needed her four-inch log, so we need others to help us, others to exhort us. So today, if you hear God's voice and His Word is full of His voice, if you understand any of it, respond. Don't harden your heart. If you feel the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, respond. And then take care to your heart and to the condition of your heart. When we read the Old Testament, we should see, okay, the, these people, they went this way. Hey, I'm prone to go those same ways. Take care to the condition of your heart. And let us hold firm to faith in Jesus Christ. Let us not go backwards. Let us not fall backwards. Our reward is forward and glory. Christ is our treasure. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, another warning from You designed for our good. We want to receive it as such. And I pray this morning, Lord, for anyone who has begun going down that road of neglecting their heart or hardening their heart or stiff-arming the Holy Spirit's conviction, Lord, help us. We're hearing You today. And your grace, Lord, you, you don't ever command without grace to follow that command. And so your grace is available for us today to respond. Help us to respond. And help us, Lord, to live lives like we really do need other people. Like we have something worse than a lion in its mouth over our head. Help us, Lord, to live in a way that takes seriously what you're saying and cherishes the fact that we share in Christ. Lord, we are beside ourselves at how glorious that is. And I pray it would motivate us to hold firm. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.